Hey, welcome back, everybody, for another episode of the Cyber Guys podcast, the cybersecurity podcast for everybody. My name is Andrew Valencia, and uh, as always, I'm joined by Mike Hill. And hey, Mike, how you doing, man? You good? Are you good? Uh, man, I'm tired, man. I'm fatigued. You look tired. You look exhausted. If, if, if I may ask, what, what has you so tired? Man, I'm tired of the pandemic. I'm tired of politics. I'm tired of people. You know what? I, I, I actually understand why there's this new phenomenon called cybersecurity fatigue. You know, people are just tired. They're tired of us. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I get that. I get that. We, you know, cybersecurity professionals, IT professionals, experts, we kind of come off as Cassandra's sometimes, right? I, I can understand that. I, I get that. You know, we bang this drum of, uh, hey, it's not if, it's when. And, you know, now now we say it's not when, but how often, right? Yeah. And And so after a while, I get it. I can understand why people get exhausted. And, yeah, yeah, man. and security you know, I, fatigue is a real it, thing. It's a real thing. I mean, t today I just finished teaching a class this morning. And, um, you know, one of the things I talk about on the first day of this class is what is security? You know, what what is it? And, you know, we've talked about this in our podcast before, but, but the reality is it's an unattainable goal. And when people are trying to actually reach it as if you can achieve cybersecurity, they're 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 beating their heads against a brick wall at full clip. It, it's not achievable. So ultimately, organizations have to learn to pace themselves and realize that you'll never achieve it. You just have to keep working at it. It has to be part of your battle rhythm. But it's a slog. I I mean I yeah. I understand that. I mean it's a slog for us too. But imagine you know just the general user out there. You know, it's a slog for them to hear about, you know, hey, here's all these rules. Here's all these things you need to do. How many times do I need to change my dang password? Right. How long is it now? How many different passwords do I need? And how do you remember it, them all? And how do you even remember them all? It yeah. There is a real uh, risk to organizations and just to the to, you know, consumers alike out there of uh, people just understanding that they're supposed to be, you know, they're supposed to behave in a in the least risky manner possible when they're online, but because of security fatigue, they they just don't. And there's a lot well, of different reasons for that. There's well, a lot I of mean, different reasons for that. Some of it is just human nature. I mean, just look at the people's response to the pandemic. You know, during the first few months of the pandemic, everybody had the masks on. They were ready to do it. They were locked in their rooms. Okay, whatever it takes to save the world from the pandemic. But two years in, even though it's not actually over, nobody wants to wear a mask. Nobody wants to socially distance. We're just done with it. Everybody's done with it. Doesn't change the fact that you can still catch COVID and you can even still die. But no one wants to continue in that heightened level of alert status 
24-7. And it's the same with cybersecurity. No one wants to stay on high alert all the time. So how do we deal with it? How do we help people to find the necessary cadence to not give in to fatigue when it comes to security? And it's definitely not lecturing them ad nauseum about their yeah. responsibilities when it comes to the cyber to the security of their system to, to the companies or organization systems or even their own privacy right it's not about you know these uh pamphlets that that some organizations hand out on an annual basis and count as their training or awareness campaigns that just remind people to do very basic minimums you know maintain minimum cyber hygiene Right. It's about more than that, right? It's about engagement. Yeah, here's the and thing. Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing. I mean, at some point, people just stop caring. They're like, I've been hacked, but I'm not dead. I don't care anymore. Or, or it's, it's or too disruptive. I, it's not, to I, it's not my responsibility. It's or, not my responsibility. Yeah. Or, or even if I was hacked, what is there to steal? My data is not that valuable. So who cares? Right. Or it's just, it's inevitable anyway. I'm spending my whole budget on this stuff and I still got hacked. So what's the point? I mean, that's the frustration that leads to some of this fatigue, you know? And yeah, you know, it, there's some studies on it now, you know? No, no, absolutely. There's there's plenty of studies and and and, and one of which I, I want to jump into uh, yeah. in just a second, but, you know, just to, 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 to carry what you were saying for a sec, you know, it, it affects everybody. It affects the C-suite or the executive level of organizations as much as it does, you know, the the general user. It, right. it, it occurs throughout uh, companies, throughout organizations. And as we've discussed previously in the podcast, you know, insider threats are the biggest vectors of yeah. attack when it comes to um, data breaches uh, and hackers, hacking you attempts. Know, wittingly so it, it's, or unwittingly. Whether they Unwitting, know or exactly, not. exactly, Unwitting and those insider threats, yeah, right, and those insider threats really uh, are typically individuals who suffer from security fatigue, who make an make a decision that maybe they know they're not supposed to, or that they just and they just don't care, uh, or hey, you know what, IT has literally asked me to change my password twelve times this month. I'm exhausted. If you know if the government. If this company can't can't secure themselves, how am I supposed to? Yeah, you know, After- it's funny that that reminds me of of, of the movie Breach that really uh, heightened that point. You know, one of the biggest insider threats in the FBI ever, uh, John Hansen, uh, and they were getting into his mind, and and that was one of his things. You guys won't do it. I'm going to show you what's wrong with your systems and why you're not securing. The, the national interest like he should. That was his own little self-deluded uh, motive behind some of, some of the biggest, uh, biggest uh, breaches of, of, of internal security ever in the history of, of the national uh, security agencies. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a real phenomenon. And while it may not be to the extreme of an FBI uh, informant turning against the, the national interest, you know, it, it still happens, whether it's on an individual scale, at someone's home, uh, in, the, in their company, you know, when they just get tired of it. And sometimes they, they get tired of the bureaucracy that's in the way between what they believe idealistically should be happening and what's actually happening. So, yeah, all those things, those are real factors, man. You, you, you're not kidding. 
Yeah, and, and it, it, it really just depends, you know, the 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 response of employees uh, or users to security measures is completely dependent upon the security culture of the yeah. organization. Good word. Uh, security uh, culture. What, what we, yeah. So word. what do we mean about security? Yeah. T- talk a little bit about security culture and what we mean when we say uh, security culture. You know, I, I, I like that term because, you know, a culture is something that you pick up almost innately from your childhood, from all of the persons in your life, in your sphere, everybody around you imprints on you, conditions you, and helps you to accept things. I mean, it's, it's like an accent. You know, no one tries to pick up an accent. Most people don't even realize they have an accent, but you get it. You get it because you've been inundated in an environment where that's how people pronounce their words. That's the way people talk. So you speak like they speak. It imprints on you. When, when you're immersed in a culture, you're shaped by it. A cybersecurity aware culture shapes you. It helps you to not even think about it. You don't get fatigued from speaking with your native accent. You shouldn't get fatigued from uh, responding to the conditioning of being cyber aware and implementing good cybersecurity practices. It should be innate. It should be natural. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not happened. We haven't reached that point yet. We haven't reached that point. We haven't had that ubiquity yet, right? Uh, I always, no. I always liken cybersecurity to any other type of security that that everyone knows, right? You right. when you when you get home, you lock your door. Why right. do we lock our doors? Um, the boogeyman, man. When the you get man. right, when you when you get in when you get in the vehicle, when you get in the car, you put a seatbelt on. Why do we put a seatbelt on? Right? It there are rhymes the and reasons. <laughs> You know, a lot There's, of people thought if it, it was constraining. Oh, oh my God, I got to put this thing on. Oh, it's, it's you know, it, it's uncomfortable. But you know, after enough conditioning, we don't think about it anymore. It's natural. Yeah, it, and it's I think it's like reinforcement of of positive behavior or like the behavior you want to see, and it's it's not uh, demeaning or or or, no. or or anything like that. But but it's you know, as cybersecurity professionals, there is a difference between uh, cultivating positive behavior, positive cybersecurity practices within your organization, as opposed to the annual lecturing uh, um, that that people do, uh, that a lot of cybersecurity professionals, we've gone into organizations and we've seen where their on-site cybersecurity professionals or their IT staff have literally just ad nauseum lectured their employees to death over, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what you need to do. Here's the risks. Here's the... Bah, 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 bah. And right. what that does is innately, what do people tend to do? They'll just zone switch out. off. They zone They'll off. Just they tune zone it out. Out. But you know what, though? They really actually are enablers of that behavior because how often do they do their security audits? How often do they do their security reviews? It's something you only do every blue moon. You don't have to think about it 99% of the time. And then all of a sudden, everyone's hair is on fire. You better deal with it now. Well, if that's your approach, if you only consider it as a moment in time that you have to uh, respond and prepare and uh, get ready for an inspection, and the rest of the time you don't think about it, well, of course you're not going to be conditioned to make it part of your regular process, your regular and order. Yeah, something that we've seen a lot too is almost the converse of that, where you know everything is every issue with cybersecurity and IT is always at the forefront. There's always a problem to fix. There's always something to, there's always a fire to put out. And when that is the the battle rhythm, that if that's the cadence of the day-to-day in the organization, 
cybersecurity, there's not a lot of room left over for people to, to, to take that into account, to consider. They're just, it's another problem that has to be solved that we're never going to get to the top of the hill. We're literally Sisyphus just pushing this boulder up a hill. We're never going to get there. And, and that is wholly on the cybersecurity staff of that organization and really failing to build, and, like we said, that, or, that culture. And leadership. I mean, you know, it's a top-down thing. I mean, where truly do the senior leaders place security? Do they place it where it ought to be? Is it right there next to profits, next to primary mission objectives? Is it really at the top of their priority list? And in many cases, yeah. it's not. It's just something they have to bo check, a, a box they have to check. They have to actually meet this as exit criteria, but it's not really part of their entrance considerations. Yeah. So NIST actually did a study uh, regarding security fatigue and some of the uh, participants answers to a lot of the questions that they asked regarding the ability for them to maintain a certain level of uh, security awareness uh, and, and to act on that uh, knowledge, it, it's it's kind of stunning. I, I want to read one of the participants' responses here. Yeah, yeah. With I, regard I, I to, hear some, I want to hear that. Yeah. So they, uh, I, they said, I think I'm desensitized to it. I know bad things can happen. You get this warning that some virus is going to attack your computer, and you get a bunch of emails that say, "Don't open any emails." Blah blah blah. I think I don't pay any attention to those things anymore because it's in the past. People get weary of being bombarded by watch out for this and watch out for that. I think it just gets down to a, a fundamental psychological reality. Uh, it's it's the broken light effect, this broken stoplight. You know, we've all experienced it. You know, you come to an intersection, the light is red. Okay, we're used to going to red lights, no big deal. We wait, and then we wait, and then we wait. And then we see something really weird. We see the oncoming traffic in the other direction, you know, start moving, stop, and then start moving again, indicating that somehow or another we missed a whole cycle. Well, after you sit in that light beyond the normal period of time and you've seen that bizarre activity where others are moving along with no uh, recognition of the fact that you've been there longer than them, what do you do? you eventually just say, I don't care about the red light. I'm going, I'm proceeding through. I'm gonna look both ways, but I'm proceeding because this is a broken light and I need to get on with my life. That's the psychology. And that's what keeps happening in cybersecurity over and over again. It's the red light effect, the broken light effect. If you're gonna make me memorize 25 passwords, they're not gonna be 12 to 15 characters long and spent with special characters and numbers. I'm not an upper case and lowercase, right? That's right. that's what you're talking about. It's you know it, And that's just the I, simple things. And that's the simple things. That's the simple yeah. things. And when you consider that the, the other thing I think is really, really interesting, something else that this NIST study did pick up on is that users are inundated not just in their work life, but also in their personal life because we now use the internet for everything. We have a username and password for everything. How many passwords do I need to remember for work? How many usernames and passwords do I need to remember for my personal email and my Netflix and my right. G, you know, so on and so forth. It, it, it people list, are inundated with on. this. It goes on. And, and at on. the end of the day, they're going to start, you know, the, just the psychology behind this 
is the same as most other things, right? You mentioned the fatigue with COVID-19 before. It's the same with a lot of things. Inundated enough, the human brain is going to just shut down. They're going to say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to deal with this. I don't care what the risk is because having to remember another gosh dang password is is more painful than the adverse effects that may stem yeah. from reusing at, the same at least password. at least you get to a point where you believe that it, it may not actually but, be true uh, but no you no no that's again I mean, that's the response right yeah, that's the old, exactly. that's the the human response yeah but i mean you know talk about the covid for uh, p- pandemic perfect example you know my family all of us in our house on lockdown doing what we're supposed to do we went two years, two years, never caught it, never anything. You know, we, we, we were doing what we were supposed to do. But finally, after two years, we took some risks. You know, we, we just said, you know, we just need to see some friends. We haven't seen them in four years, you know, this sort of thing. And guess what happened? A member of my family got COVID. Two years, nothing. And then we catch it because we didn't take the fact that we were fatigued with it seriously and realized that fatigue doesn't change reality. Fatigue doesn't change reality. The reality is still there no matter what. You may think, hey, I don't, I haven't been hacked yet. You know, I, I just need to just do what I need to do. That's when the, the light changes green. That's when the oncoming traffic, you know, speeds up. That's when the danger hits you. So we have to find ways to help people to avoid the fatigue and maintain the persistence, uh, the vigilance. That's, and, and that's such a good, that's a, that's a really good point that you make too, because you know, in, in the NIST study, they, they use terms, uh, participants use terms like being tired, being turned off, being overwhelmed. And that lead, that led them to essentially doing a cost benefit analysis, right? Right. It, it, whether or not the the results of that C cost benefit analysis were accurate or yeah. with reality to the participant, to the individual, the risks that are associated with going out and seeing friends or using the same password for the 15th account that you're going to make the, in their eyes, the risk does not outweigh the convenience factor. And that stems directly from that feeling of fatigue, the being over, the overtired, just the, um, oh, being o- the being overwhelmedness done. of it you feel all. Done. You feel done. You're just done with it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, okay, so we have, we know what security fatigue is. We know it exists. We know why it happens. It's psychology, the human brains are humans are just going to human. Right. So, yeah, right. In reality, in the real world, in real applications, how do we combat security fatigue? And there's a couple of different ways we can do it, right? The yeah. answer, there's, and it's funny, uh, you know, I've researched this topic, I've looked stuff up about it, and I love these articles that come, you know, how does combat uh, cybersecurity fatigue? And like one of the answers is make sure you're always patching your software, make sure you're always updating, make sure you're always running your antivirus. And it's like, that's what's leading people <laughs> to have security fatigue. You're giving them more security tasks to ta- yeah. to do. Uh, that's not the answer. So what is the well, answer? No, it's not It's not that it's wrong. I mean, I, I, I disagree a little bit that it's not the answer. The thing is, the routine of cyber hygiene has to 
be like the routine of physical hygiene. You don't get tired of bathing and brushing your teeth. You have to brush your teeth every day, you know, probably a couple of times a day. Are you fatigued? I mean, I do. I still do it. I get yeah. I get tired having to you do know, it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. You get to you have to put it into forms that are manageable. Brushing your teeth doesn't take an hour. Brushing your teeth doesn't take three hours. Brushing your te- teeth does not overwhelm every other thing you want to do during the day. We have to reduce the impact on cyber hygiene tasks so that it simplifies what people are doing and can then drift it into the background. Oh, that's just something we do. Oh, you know, after you finished your morning routine, you don't even think about the fact that, that you brushed your teeth anymore. You know you did. You, you smell your breath and hopefully nothing's stinking. But for the most part, you're not consumed throughout your whole day with, you know, how well you brushed your teeth that morning because it's something you do every morning, every day. Yeah, if, if dental, if oral hygiene took... 45 minutes every single day, a lot less people would probably do it. I think exactly. that's a really good point. More teeth so would be falling we have, out so, gum disease and everything else. Yeah. So part of part of cybersecurity hygiene or best practices uh, and the actions that general users have to take have to be catered to their convenience. As backwards as that may sound, making it more convenient for an individual to stay secure is the best way to ensure that they don't get fatigued. Absolutely. So how do we do that in real applications? I think a really good example is no longer requiring username and passwords, right? You can do PIV credentials, you can do one-time passcodes, things of that nature that actually, to a certain degree, take the, the, the mental aspect for an individual out of it to some degree. I mean, just to put it onto a token, put it on, exactly. just think about smartphones. I mean, nowadays you just look at your smartphone and, and it unlocks to your face facial recognition, or 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 you, you use your thumb, and and that's your pass uh, uh, passcode. That's your uh, authenticator. So the idea of making it convenient, it's not that the industry ignores it completely because you know the cell phone companies have picked up on, hey, how do we maintain security and make it more convenient so that people don't have to remember pins all the time? Well, hey, let's use biometrics, and people love it. Is it the most secure way? Not necessarily, but it does add that extra benefit of good security with convenience. It's it's better than nothing for sure. And I think that what a lot of users um, do see, what a lot of consumers see uh, on, on some uh, platforms is how many passwords they really have to to, to remember just to get to one site. So you have to remember a username. You have to remember a password. Then after you enter those things, you now have to go remember a pin that you may afford a six digit pin that you made up. And then you have to do a captcha or you have to do one of those, those image puzzles to prove that you're not a computer. There's a point where people just say, screw it. I'm either not going to come up with something like very complicated to remember, or I'm just not going to use it altogether. Yeah. And where, you're absolutely right. Getting Federated yeah, cutting services. yeah, cutting cutting the knot the Gordian knot, so to speak, is sacrificing robust cybersecurity or robust security to cater to that to, to that to that convenience factor. Because having not, something not that you have is better than really nothing. But not that you really have to cut it that much, but, but you can simplify it. A lot of organizations yeah. through federated identity management 
are giving people the convenience of single sign-on across different enterprises. And they're not necessarily uh, less secure. So long as your single sign-on authenticator is highly secure, uh, then when you have um, a, a uh, multi-vendor shared use of the federated identity management system, you know, you're, you're kind of marrying the two together. You're, you're right. creating a situation where there is convenience, but you're not completely sacrificing security. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, one key, keys, one set of keys to the kingdom can be a problem, and 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 single sign-on is not a panacea, but it does sure. kind of a, address some of the fatigue of having so many different authenticators. Yeah, it, you really do have the best of both worlds. You know, that's just kind of the same argument with things with like password managers. Um, have the same issues, but they provide the same level of convenience uh, 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 while maintaining a certain level of security. And that's where like multi-factor authentication comes into play, where building these robust authentication mechanisms is really, really important because the the fence line, so so to speak, the gate has to be secure, has to be, you know, uh, very strong and resilient so that, you know, you can have that kind of convenience built in. The answer that is absolutely wrong here, obviously, is doing nothing, right? Understanding the risks and throwing your hands up in the air and saying, well, you know what? Just it's going to happen anyways. Might as well happen to me. Well, those are the folks that are still catching COVID. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) let's just keep it real. You know, if you just throw your hands up and say, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not wearing masks. I'm not going to social distance. I'm just going to go to the party and, and breathe everybody's funk. You know, that's not the answer either. I mean, you got to find a happy solution where you're not a slave to the to uh, the uh, security measures, but you're also not putting yourself in the open, in the uh, wind, in the in the most dangerous and precarious situations you can imagine. You got to find that happy medium. And I really think one of the keys is simplification mechanisms in our security. Yes. We have to make it easier. We have to make it background because human nature, you know, we've had a whole episode on the human factor. So we know that the human factor is the weak link always. So anytime we can reduce the footprint of the human weaknesses, uh, we're, we're really uh, improving security uh, by, by just by that action, by, by default. I'm, I'm so, and I'm so glad you said that because, you know, one thing I, I want to close with something, I want to close with something directly from the NIST study on security fatigue. And I'll read it just right here verbatim. While users, cybersecurity behavior is often portrayed as irrational. In fact, it might be quite rational and reflect an astute cost benefit analysis that results in users choosing to ignore complex security advice that promise promises little and delivers less. Hmm. That in and of itself, I'm wrong, but I believe that I'm right because it's just too complicated to figure out. Hmm. Simplifying authentication methods, simplifying the nature of cybersecurity itself, making cybersecurity palatable is is the silver bullet for security fatigue. It is. It, is. It, it has to be a regular part of life. Until we make it a regular part of life, until we're integrated into every aspect of information technology, seamlessly, 
not the afterthought, not the year-end audit, not the uh, catastrophic event in response to some new vulnerability that's made the news. No, it's simply part of our DNA. It's part of the way we're made. Then it's something we, we could actually afford to take for granted because it's just part of what we do on the regular. And then the added measures of security, when it does come to uh, the, the, the audit, when it does come to uh, the extra layers of security that we add on top of it, well, it's really just the cherry on top. It's not the core, which means it doesn't have to be so overwhelming. Uh, part of what makes it so overwhelming, honestly, is because of the poor state of security in so many different organizations and systems. Well, that's where we're going to end it today, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, do all the cool YouTube stuff. Like and subscribe to the channel. Uh, and don't forget, stay safe, be secure, be sure. We'll see you next time.